Hello, thank you for welcoming me into your service this morning. My name is Terry Smith, and I am with Canadian Baptist Ministries. During this COVID-19 global pandemic, one of the highlights, one of the few highlights that my wife and I have been able to uh, experience has been to go for many, many long and delightful walks around our neighborhood. We've lived in the same neighborhood called Mimico for 17 years now, and we are continuing to find, as we walk through the streets of our neighborhood, new nooks and crannies, and we're really enjoying it. Um, the word Mimico, which is the name of our community, uh, is an old Ojibwe word, and it means the resting place of the wild pigeon. There was a time, according to historians, that the sky of Mimico was almost black because of the number of passenger pigeons, of course they're now extinct, but the number of passenger pigeons that would fly down along the Mimico Creek and would nest in our community before they would cross Lake Ontario. On the front of my wife's school, she's a school teacher, and on the front of her school is this beautiful mosaic. Uh, it goes back to the 1940s, and it depicts that time when the sky was covered. Mimico, the resting place of the wild pigeons. Let me comment briefly on the message of the psalmist before we turn our attention to the dual images that Jesus gives of God's kingdom that come from our gospel reading. In this Psalm 145, the last recorded psalm written by King David, and the only one whose title literally bears the words in Hebrew, a psalm of praise. We are invited to stand in awe of God, the creator, the sustainer, and the king of the universe. It is the only psalm that doesn't contain a petition. This is straight up worship. In that short section that we read, we are reminded of God's work in the world. We are reminded that God reveals himself through his magnificent deeds, that God reveals his own character, that his works in turn reflect off his people, and that as people are exposed to his acts and his deeds of splendor, they cannot help but extol or praise him. Whose acts are we talking about? Are they the acts of the people of Israel? Are they the acts of the deeds of the priests, the high priests and the rulers? No, these are God's actions manifest in the world in all of his dealings. And this passage and many others in the Old and the New Testament remind us that God is the actor in his kingdom. He is the revealer of his divine plan. Our second passage, and we'll dwell a little longer on this one, comes from the New Testament, from the Gospel of St. Luke. Jesus, of course, is talking to a Jewish audience. We all know that. He is in Palestine, and he's speaking to a Jewish population, a people who are well aware of the oppression of the Roman authorities. At its height, the Roman Empire was the largest political and social movement in Western civilization. Nothing rivaled the power of the Roman oppressors. And their strategy, strategy for conquest was pretty obvious. It was pretty easy to see. You see, they set up these very tight parameters around the edge of the empire uh, with that great Roman army. And then they allowed their subjects 
inside of that empire, they allowed them a semblance of freedom within the empire, but always under the watchful eye of the Roman potentates. They safeguarded the borders with military might, and then they entrusted the social and the economic and even the religious life of the people in the empire to the various regional and cultural groups. So during the time of the Gospels, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they set up their own parameters for life. They made their rules that must be followed, the do's and don'ts that made life more manageable, while the Jewish people awaited the liberation from the tyrant, from the Roman rulers. Someday they hoped God's kingdom would come and God would restore his rule over them. Although, to be honest, they were pretty confident that they would be the ones that would be in control. And along comes Jesus. And during Jesus' earthly ministry, as he walks among the Jewish people, he kept talking about the kingdom of God as well, just like the Roman rulers did. But it's one of those situations where you're using the same words, but you mean something incredibly different. You see, for the Jewish leaders, they referred to the kingdom of God as something that was going to be down here. And Jesus saw it as a coming together of things from above and things below. They saw it as something where a human ruler would be in charge. And Jesus said, no, this will be a kingdom of divine authority. They felt that it was going to come about through some radical and violent reordering of society when the Roman military might would finally be cast away. And Jesus saw it as a reordering of the heart. They saw it as big and tight. And Jesus saw it as something small and loose. Jesus, of course, as we know, spent most of his time talking about the kingdom. In fact, he spoke more about the kingdom of God or of the kingdom of heaven than he did any other topic during his earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus describes his mission in these words. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to this and to the other cities also, for this is the reason for which I was sent. And then he uses many, many different analogies to describe the kingdom. He talks about it as being a treasure in certain places. He refers to it as a merchant who sets out looking for a pearl of great price or of a king who's going to throw a banquet. He describes it at times as a light and certainly a light that no one would hide under a bushel. And he talked about the kingdom of God as a mustard seed and as yeast. And this brings us to our passage in Luke chapter 13. Verse 18, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What should I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds nested in its branches. Again, he asked, what should I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with 60 pounds of flour until it was worked through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if we were to um, search on that great cultural authority source of infinite knowledge called Google, and we were to enter the word kingdom and tip, click on the tab for images, you know what would pop up? Something like this. Kingdom is a place of fairy princesses, of castles, 
of magnificent streets of gold, of pearly gates. It's Disneyland. That is what our culture thinks of as a kingdom, but not for Jesus. Jesus uses two word pictures. The first word picture is he describes a man who takes a mustard seed, a wee tiny seed, perhaps the smallest seed he could find. He plants it in his garden and voila, a tree grows. And pretty soon you get, well, mimical. All of the birds nest in its branches. This seems to us to be such a beautiful picture. It's charming. It's a picture of vegetation and birds. We read it and we tend to hear Jesus saying something like, God can grow great things from small beginnings. Now, if you were part of the Jewish audience listening to Jesus at this time, this story would not have been quite that pretty picture of a tree in someone's backyard. A couple of things about this passage would shock the average listener. The first is no one wanted a mustard tree in their yard. Mustard trees are like weeds. They're unruly plants. They're, what do we call them, invasive species, invasive shrubs. They are nasty pests. If you grow a mustard seed tree in your yard, it takes over everything. Nothing else can possibly grow. Once it takes root, there is no stopping that. It is irresistibly present in that yard. Jesus' point is this. Although it begins slowly, and although it begins very small, nothing will stop the growth of God's kingdom. It subverts and it scandalizes the existing empires. Jesus adds, the birds of the air will nest in its branches. And again, we think, well, that's a nice picture, isn't it? But again, for the Jewish leader, the Jewish listeners, this was not a beautiful thought. Because in Jewish speech at that time, birds meant one of two things. Either something evil, something nasty, or worse still, Gentiles. Gentiles were compared to birds in Jewish literature. Who would ever want the Gentiles, the not God's people, to be nesting in the branches of the kingdom of God? The Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus made rules that forbade the growing of mustard trees. That was called the rule of uh, diverse species. You could not have a mustard seed growing in your yard because it took over everything. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is actually like that. The kingdom of God is irresistibly present. The second image that Jesus uses is that of a woman this time. He says that the kingdom of God is like a woman who adds a wee tiny bit of yeast in with a big pile of flour. Three measures, some translations say. 60 pounds of flour. And like that mustard seed that is planted in your yard, it gets about doing its business. Well, this is what happens with the yeast in the dough, creating its gluten and carbon dioxide, changing every molecule in that bowl. And again, we could pause and we could ask ourselves why Jesus would use the image of leavened bread. Certainly during Passover, the Jewish people knew that they could not eat leavened bread, bread with yeast. They had to eat those flat wafers. Can I ask you this? Who ever bakes with 60 pounds of flour? That isn't a ridiculous amount of flour. That is like 
a giant blob. So once again, Jesus radicalizes their understanding. He pushes the limits of their comprehension once again. The kingdom of God will not only be irresistibly present like the mustard tree growing where we didn't think it should grow, but it will be inestimably transformational. Like yeast in the dough, nothing will go unchanged when God's work begins to take effect like yeast in the dough. So while Google paints a picture of kingdoms being about castles and pearly gates and white knights, Jesus uses an image of a mustard seed and yeast in a dough. Let me tell you a little story about um, yeast in the dough that I find really powerful. There's a church that I hold near and dear in Beirut, Lebanon, Faith Baptist Church. I love the ministry of that church. It's a small church, but that church has a reputation that goes beyond the city of Beirut, beyond the country of Lebanon. I once booked an Airbnb in Beirut, and when the owner of the Airbnb asked why I was going to Beirut, and I told him that I was going to be speaking at Faith Baptist Church, he said, I know that church. They are the ones that are doing an amazing work among Syrian refugees. And I said, that's amazing. Where do you live? How do you know that church? And he answered me and he said, I live in Montreal, but my family knows the work of Faith Baptist Church. How does your church measure up to these images of a mustard seed or a wee tiny pinch of yeast? During these bewildering and dangerous times of COVID-19, our churches have had to quickly pivot to begin to be a different type of community. All of those foundational notions that we had about a church building, and I am sitting in an empty church building as I speak to you today, all of those notions about the church building being the center of activity for God's work in the neighborhood have been turned upside down. All across our land, we are hearing marvelous stories about the work of local churches, not the buildings, but the people who have now become the vector, the instrument for God's redemptive service in the world. Here in this empty building, I, where I am recording this sermon, there's no activity happening. But thanks be to God, his people, our church family, are living out their calling to be salt and light, to be like a mustard seed or like yeast in this world. We have healthcare workers who are ministering tirelessly, caring for people during this time. We have volunteers from our church and from many of our churches who are distributing food and PPEs to the most needy people. We have churches that are supporting food banks that are so desperately in need. We have kids who are walking through the river valley nearby, helping to clean up rubbish that seems to have accumulated there for years. We have endless acts of random kindness that are popping up everywhere where God's people are living out their faith in the world. The church isn't the kingdom of God, but God is at, God is at play. God is carrying, at work, carrying out his work in the soil right here. The church is not the focus of mission. Back up. The church is not the focus of the kingdom of God. The church is the locus of God's work. I'm sure that some of you are way better at math than I am, and you already know the difference or the meaning of the word locus. It literally means in Latin, a point or a place. 
But a locus in mathematics is a set of all the points whose location satisfies a common specific condition. My favorite author, Leslie Newbigin, describes the, the church as the locus of God's mission and God's kingdom. He wrote these words, the local church becomes, in essence, a setting for the activity of God through the Holy Spirit. It is God who acts in the power of his spirit, doing mighty works, creating signs of a new age, working secretly in the hearts of men and women to draw them to Christ. And when they are so drawn, they become part of a community we call the church. The church is not so much the agent of mission. God himself is the agent of mission. We are just the medium. We are the locus. We are the place where God is at work in the world, doing his work in us and through us. We become like a beacon of light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your branches grow so tall that the birds of the air, the nations, will nest in your branches. And let the yeast so work its way through the flower, through the dough of your community, that every molecule will be transformed into something that you didn't even imagine, inestimably transformed. I leave you with this one final image of the church as the locus of mission. At the very beginning days of the COVID-19 crisis, when it afflicted only the city of Wuhan, China, and when that city was quarantined and all of the residents of that city were sent into isolation, a group of pastors from Christian churches set about to minister to their population. They did it by handing out soap by providing food for the poorest people. They did it by providing healthcare equipment to people that were in need. And as they reached out to more and more families in the city of Wuhan and in the surrounding area, do you know what happened? Dozens and dozens of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. They saw the good deeds of God's people and they glorified their Father who is in heaven. Our prayer for you today is that your church would continue to be transformed and would be an agent of change in your world in spite of the difficult circumstances and the hardships that we might be living. May God bless you and strengthen you through this difficult time. In Jesus' name, amen.